We're going to be looking in Hosea chapter 4 tonight. Hosea chapter 4. When we began our consideration of the book of Hosea, uh, we noted that there were several messages, several sermons that are compiled. No doubt messages that Hosea preached over the course of his ministry with the land of Israel. And uh, the first one of those messages we've seen, and that was a message we call Scenes from a Broken Home, as God put his relationship with his wife Gomer and their three children with the names that were very hard to pronounce, uh, but had very specific meanings. And he put them before the nation of Israel as an example then of how that Israel, like Gomer, had been unfaithful to him, how she had resisted all of his efforts as Israel had resisted all of God's efforts. Oh, but it was a story that had a happy ending, amen, because it ended with the great message of redemption and how that uh, though it was still in its own way a tragedy, yet it was a great story illustrating God's love for us and his ultimate redemption of his nation. Tonight we're going to enter into our consideration of the second message that Hosea uh, presented, and that's in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing, lying, and killing, and stealing, and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood blood toucheth blood the second message that uh, hosea delivered was one that i'm going to call the the crime scene the scene of the crime uh, because as we look in our own culture today when we uh, see where a crime has been committed and we walk up we see that yellow tape that surrounds the area and cordons it off behind that the detectives are working and, uh, of course, they're working in order to determine something. They're working really to figure out two things. Number one, they want to figure out exactly what happened. And number two, then, they want to try to figure out who did whatever it was, how it happened, who is responsible for it, for what has gone on. Uh, we're not then going to see in this passage of Hosea's message a, a courtroom scene. It's not so much like that. It's literally very much like where God would take his people up and say, I'm going to present a story. I want you to look and see and show you what is happening uh, that God has to deal with. Uh, we are grateful tonight that our God loves us with an everlasting, unfailing love. Aren't you thankful for the love of God tonight? And yet God's love does not keep us Keep him, rather, from confronting us when we need it. You know it, and I know it. Sometimes love just has to tell the truth. And it's, in fact, an unloving thing for us to let something go on and on and on without ever moving to confront. The Old Testament book of Proverbs puts it this way. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11 my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, 
just as a father, the son in whom he delights. You say, well, I thought that passage was in the book of Hebrews. It is, Hebrews chapter 12. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. But long before it was quoted in the book of Hebrews, it was inspired and written down by the writer of the book of Proverbs. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. God does not chasten us out of some emotion of of hatred or anger no that's not altogether it no God's chastening is rooted in his love and it is his love then uh, that prompts this that's why the writer tells us for whom the Lord loves he corrects whom the Lord loves he corrects We delight in being able to say tonight that God loves us just the way we are. And He does. But He loves us too much to leave us that way. So He works then to change us, to move us. He desires to free us from our sins, to free us from our addictions and from our weaknesses and the power that they exercise over our life. He works then to bring us into His blessing, into His grace, into His forgiveness, into His power, into His strength, into His favor. God is taking us out of the realm of sin. And we could say then, for the past of sin too long I've trod. God works in when we come to that occasion, when we come to that understanding. God works in to move us, that he then welcomes us with open arms. Through the prophet Hosea, then, God is going to issue a list of the crimes. He's going to identify the crimes that's been committed, and he's also going to identify the criminals who have committed them. Uh, I have a controversy I have a controversy with the land of Israel. So it shouldn't surprise us tonight that when God begins to describe the people that he has a controversy with, who it is then that has done this, uh, he's talking about his people. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 1, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Crime has been committed. It has been committed against God. And it's committed by his own people. The essence of what he says has happened is that his truth, his word, his law had been abandoned. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And we'll find out that this whole problem of sin and humanity began with the question, Hath God said? Not a a real long question, is it? Hath God said? You see, the whole thing began with the idea that maybe God's word isn't trustworthy. Did God really say that? How do you know God really said that? Well, Eve, are you sure that Adam got it right? You sure that Adam knew what it has God really said? Hath God said? How many are the voices in our own land tonight who are decrying and deploring the truth of Scripture? 
Did God say? How do you know that's really what God said? That's all it takes, you see. Though the question may not seem like much to us, it is one designed to cause people to doubt the Word of God. When people turn away from the authority of Scripture, the power of Scripture, there are horrible consequences for themselves and for those who follow after them. The authority of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for in for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, thoroughly furnished, and all good works. The Word of God is powerful, quick, alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and pierces, uh, we say something, cuts to the bone. The Word of God cuts deeper than that. Pierces to the dividing asunder of joint and sinew, all the way down uh, to the marrow of the bone. The Word of God cuts us. And cuts deeply. But not just to inflict pain. But to inflict conviction. And to bring to us correction. (laughs) You see the word of God can be very painful to hear. It can be painful to listen to. But the word of God can be very helpful. And very enjoyable. (laughs) And very encouraging. Even though it may give us a warning. We can hear that and say yes. That warning is well given. Maybe we could look back on our minds and think back to a time when we ourselves were following the very path that God's Word warns us against. Yes, we could say, that is a dangerous path. I've walked that way. I have the scars to prove it. The Word of God is true. I was the one that was wrong. The authority of Scripture then given to us because the Scripture is God-breathed. Because it is infallible and inerrant and it gives to us a message because then the word of God is powerful. And the gospel even is the power of God unto salvation. What happens when people turn away from the truth of God? Well, as we look in this passage, we're going to see that when people lose their sense of the authority of scripture when they turn away from the truth of God they will lose any sense of mercy or compassion Uh, that might not be the direction that we would go but it's the direction that the Bible goes the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth nor mercy nor knowledge of God in the land. No truth brings no mercy, no compassion. You see, when God's truth is rejected, then one of the things it does is it gives us a totally arbitrary way then of determining the value of other people and the way that we treat other people. We don't see them as as bearing the image of God so much because, after all, we've abandoned that standard. So humanity then is left to decide whether a person is valuable enough or not on the basis of whatever they decide to use. 
shouldn't be surprising that oftentimes the standard that is used is one that um, is built on whether a person believes or agrees with me or not, whether they see things the way I see them or not, whether they value the same things that I value, whether they can do anything for me or not, just something that I want from them, something I need from them. If we can answer those questions in a way that is acceptable to us and humanity at large with no authority of Scripture determining the value of people according to their own standards. It's not going to be mercy. It's not going to be compassion. It's not going to be a standard that says, you know, I don't agree with that person, but I still see them as the image of God. I still see them as somebody that Jesus Christ died for. I still see them as somebody valuable. I'm not, that person's not my enemy because they're flesh and blood. And the Bible tells me that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I may not agree with this person, but I can show them mercy. I can show them compassion. I can show them the gospel. You see, that's a biblical view. That comes out of the fact that we understand that every person was fashioned by God. I preached that this morning. Every person created in the image of God. Every person valuable to God. Years ago, the evangelist Bailey Smith made a statement I've never forgotten. This was in the days of commuter communication. Bumper stickers. Bumper stickers progressed along the way. And they, they turned into signs. And the first one that I remember seeing stuck on the back of somebody's uh, glass said baby on board. And I always thought that was a little odd. It, 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 it confused me a little bit. Why would we put that as a sticker on the back window? I, I must confess, I never put one on my window. Maybe you did. I'm not saying you did the wrong. Maybe you've got one right now. I'm not telling you that you were wrong. But it became a very popular thing. You know, before long, you started seeing a lot of others, you know. Uh, ex-husband in the trunk, you know, that, that kind of, yeah. they had all kinds of signs he could buy and put up there. But evangelist Bailey Smith said this, he said, if we put a sign up there that was reflective of the love of God, said we'd take one of those signs and hang it around every, the neck of every person on this planet, and it would say, precious to God, precious to God. See, that's a, that's a biblical worldview. That, that's how we get a view of humanity based on the truth of Scripture. But of course, if that's out, then it's just up to us, up to humanity, to decide who counts and who not and who doesn't. Have you noticed that our world seems to be getting a lot more ruthless, a lot more violent? Have you noticed that it seems that there's just more and more and more controversy building and building? Well, according to Hosea chapter 4, because there is no truth, there's no mercy. People abandon the standard of Scripture. It is inevitable that they will begin to treat each other on the basis of a very judgmental, selfish, and cruel standard. The second thing that he identifies in the text is that not only when there is no truth is there no mercy, uh, but also when there's no truth, there's no knowledge of God. 
And that means that without the authority of Scripture, people lose their knowledge of who God actually is. Now, they may say they believe in God. But the God they say they believe in doesn't even remotely look anything like the God of Scripture. The ideas and beliefs that the God they believe in gives to them doesn't look anything like the God of Scripture. Now, people can be deceived and easily are deceived. They may think they believe in Jesus. <laughs> they may think they believe in God. But what they believed in is a false God. Because it's one outside the truth of Scripture that they have made up <laughs> after their own ideas. So that instead of seeing ourselves as, creating, as, as the creation of God, we in fact, humanity does, ends up creating God after our own image. Almost every form of idolatry that I've ever run across is built around the kind of deified humanity where humanity takes its own desires, whether they're sexual or violent or whatever they are, takes its own desires and turns them into a God fashions it with their own hands and worships it. That's idolatry. But it is every bit as much idolatry when they think they're worshiping God. But it's not the God of Scripture. We've seen that in Hosea's own writings already in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 16. It shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi and shalt call me no more Baalai. Now you know because you've studied the scripture that Baal was an ancient fertility god of the Canaanite people, you know that Baal was a false god that plagued Israel for centuries. But imagine how it is that after so long a time of worshiping Baal, that the children of Israel couldn't tell where Baal ended and where God began. And in fact, they would call God Baalai, my master, my master. This is what Baal means. God said, no, you'll call me Ishi, my husband, <laughs> my husband. This is happening in America today in an epidemic proportion. We're seeing it happen so much and so often that I'm afraid we, we lose sight of how, how dangerous it really is. As people lose sight of the fact that God is a sovereign Lord of the universe who alone is worthy of our praise and worship and our adoration that God as a sovereign Lord of the universe tells us what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is error. He is the one who gets to make those determinations, not us. And God doesn't change rules along the line. Hosea then chapter 4 and verse 2, God mentions two results that come upon people as a result of this. He speaks of swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery. They break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. So God speaks of how, first of all, they become vile. When they reject the authority of Scripture, they become vile. Swearing, lying, stealing and committing adultery are describing a people who've turned away from God to go after their own way. Now, swearing and lying are both sins of the tongue. Where I come from, we usually think of swearing as cussing, right? Um, uh, but that, that's not necessarily what this means. This means to take an oath, to take an oath. 
Lying needs no explanation, but we put those two together, swearing and lying. This is that person that says, I'm swear, I swear it's the truth. I swear on the Bible I'm telling you the truth. Of course, most of us have been around long enough to know that when somebody's saying that, we know they're lying. Amen? I mean, that's just a get, dead giveaway for us. What we're seeing is a person then who will tell us whatever he has to tell us. Or who will tell us whatever she has to tell us in order to get what they want. A swearing and lying. Stealing is another expression of selfishness. A, a person who will break the law to take another person's property or possessions. There are always those who will break the law in order to steal from another, but then there are also those who exploit the law. And both of these things were running rampant in Israel, and both of them are running rampant in our nation. I really never thought I would live to see the day where people could walk into stores and just load up their sacks and walk out, and nobody stop them. The police won't arrest them. The prosecuting attorney won't prosecute them. I never thought I'd see that in this country. But you know, just because it's going on in places, I'm really not tempted to do it. Are y'all? I mean, I, I've been into Walmart and, and Kroger two or three or four different times this week. I don't even remember how many times. Some of you could tell me because I, I run into some of y'all every time I go. You, you may or may not recognize me, amen. I just, ah, you got your hat on. I don't know who you are. Never once did I just think, well, I've got my groceries. I'll just go load them in my car. I didn't, I didn't even think about such a thing. I, I might have thought, of, do I have enough money to pay out? I don't think about writing a check anymore either. I hadn't written a check in a store in 15 years probably. But you know, there are people who think apparently nothing in this country of just stealing other people's property. But of all that that's going on, I think sometimes it pales in, in comparison to those who use the law and exploit the law in order to take advantage of other people. In Bible times, it was the widows and the, and the impoverished people who were particularly vulnerable. Things really haven't changed that much. How many phone calls did you get this week of somebody, you know, wanting to run a scam on you? How, ma how many of those calls did you get? Uh, you get any of those computer messages uh, from that person down in uh, South Africa somewhere that's wanting to send you a bunch of money, just give them your bank statement and card? Yeah, uh, that you say, well, people still aren't falling victim for that. Yeah, there are. Uh, get on the Attorney General's website here in the state of Arkansas and see how much of this is going on. It's not going down. It's not on the decline. It's on the increase. When he mentions their adultery, so he's talked about people who steal and lie, that is, who will uh, swear, rather, and, and lie. They'll tell you anything to get what they want. Uh, people who then uh, will steal, that is, they'll do whatever they can get away with, to take somebody else's property, to get something, whatever it is that they want from you. And then he speaks of their sexual immorality. People so lost in themselves that nothing is sacred anymore. Wedding vows are meaningless. 
After all, we promise before God and the witnesses present There is no God, if there is no scripture, if there is nothing, then there is no vow that should be held sacred. Personal purity, virginity, lifelong commitments are worthless. And as people then played out their uh, time of turning away from the truth of scripture and experiencing them in themselves, the results of that decision, which was meet or fitting, they might have thought that God wasn't watching or God wouldn't notice. God was watching. And God noticed. I'm here tonight to remind you that God is watching what's going on in America today. God is watching. He notices. He sees it. Long ago, he raised up a prophet named Hosea, and he had to go through a lot of tough stuff to deliver God's message. I'm sure he was glad when he was able, able to lay his pen down and finish chapter 3. I wonder if he didn't go, <laughs> I'm glad I've got that written, and I don't. Then comes chapter 4. Look at the crime scene. Look at what's happening. People have turned away from my truth. They have rejected my truth. There's no truth for me, and therefore they've become vile. They swear and lie and steal and commit adultery. But not only did they become vile, but they become violent, vicious people. God mentions their killing and how that they would put bloodshed upon bloodshed and throw out all restraint. So as the people then turn away from God's truth, as they reject God's standard of authority through the scriptures, as they turn aside to their own way, then they become vile, but they also become vicious. They throw off restraint. How does this play out? One person is killed. And then somebody else is killed in retaliation. And then someone else is killed. And then someone else is killed. It is a vicious cycle as blood falls upon blood. Bloodshed upon bloodshed. Does that sound familiar to anybody tonight? Is that happening in America? We might have thought we were past uh, all the gang violence. And maybe we'd put that down and put it away. But the gang violence is on the rise all over the country. And it's growing. God describes in the results, the natural results that will fall upon a nation that abandoned his truth that happened in Israel of old and it's happening in our nation tonight. So it goes on, verse 3, Therefore the land will mourn. The land will mourn. Now, you might think that God meant to say that the people will mourn. That's not what he said. The land will mourn. Now, only God could say things like this. If we were to say it, and we might think, well, that, that, that can't be, possibly be right. God said it. Remember when they told Jesus to tell that shouting crowd as he rode into Jerusalem to be quiet? Remember what Jesus said? The rocks will cry out. Yeah. 
Remember what Paul said about the whole creation groaning and travailing in pain, waiting for its redemption because the redemption of the creation will come at the same time as the redemption of God's people. Remember, Paul talked about the groaning of the creation in Romans chapter 8. The land will mourn. When a nation turns away from the truth of Scripture, they will become a vile and violent, vicious people. And the land will mourn. What does that look like for the land to mourn? Well, everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another. That is God's way of saying, now don't point the finger at somebody else and say it's all their fault. And boy, that's something that we as God's people need to read. Don, now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priests. Therefore you shall stumble in that day. The prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I'll destroy your mother when a vicious and vile people you see inhabit a land, several things. First of all, the creation. The creation suffers. The whole creation suffers under the weight of its sin. And we begin to see things that we wonder, well, man, it just seems like it's one thing after another. There's wildfires going on. First thing you know, then there's floods. We get past the earthquakes and then the hurricanes fit, hit. It's just one right after another. We have a pestilence and then there's a famine. We have a drought and then there's a war. Natural disasters. We're talking about this on Sunday morning as we look in uh, Mark chapter 13. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But why is this happening in the world? What happens? That is, there's a correlation. Listen to me tonight. There is, according to Hosea chapter 4, a correlation between a people who reject God's authority, a nation then that becomes vile and vicious, and the effect it has on the creation. It's in the text. There's also conscience, the effect it has on the conscience. Verse 4, when people contend with the priest, God's spokesman, then they're beyond reproof because their conscience is seared. There's nothing that grieves me anymore than to see people who are beyond the conviction of God's truth. I tell you what, it's hard to sit there and look at somebody who's dying and ask them if they know Jesus is their Savior and see them laugh at you. Knowing that in a matter of days, in a matter of hours, they'll be in hell. But that doesn't cause him any fear at all. Why? Because their conscience is seared. They're headed for judgment. They'll not listen to the word of God, though it's the only thing that can save them. So this has an effect, this vile and vicious behavior has an effect on the creation, but also but God says it has an effect on the conscience, and it also produces casualties. Verse 5, God mentions how even the prophets will fall under the weight of their sin and judgment. When the land begins, you see, to suffer under the weight of its sin, ultimately even those who are following the Lord and pleading with people to follow the Lord will give up. Give out and give in. 
You remember how that Jeremiah, young man still, young preacher, young prophet, he wasn't far into his ministry at all when he said, that's it. (laughs) You remember that time when he said, I'm done. I'm not going to speak anymore in the name of God. These people aren't listening to me. They don't care about what I say. I'm done. I'm going to quit. (laughs) But I identify with what Jeremiah said. He said, thy word was a fire in my bones, and I grew weary of forbearing, and I could not stay. You see, as hard as it is to preach, it's harder not to preach if God has called you to do it. It's hard. But, oh, it's it's, it's a frightening thing, frightening thing to see how few young men right now are surrendering to the ministry of the gospel and how few of them, after they've surrendered, actually follow through and end up behind pulpits preaching God's word and leading God's people. Even the prophets, God said, as people then become vicious and vile, their conscience is seared, there's, there's casualties No wonder the prophet Amos warned of a time where God warned through the prophet Amos, I should say, of a time when there would be a famine in the land, not of bread, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Does anybody see the irony of that, the paradoxical nature of that? Because when a nation has turned away from God and turned away from God's truth, what they need is to turn back to God and turn back to God's truth. They don't need less preaching. They need more. They don't need some kind of weak, anemic discussion of something and fill the stories. And no, huh? They need somebody to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord God. That's what they need. Last thing they want. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. You know, John the Baptist didn't conduct a poll and uh, to f- try to figure out what the nation of Israel wanted in the first prophet they'd had in 400 years. He just went down there and started bellowing in the wilderness. And it wasn't long till people were going by the thousands to hear what he had to say. Why? Because he was saying, thus saith the Lord. It had been a long time since they'd heard it. God speaks, he warns of a time when people would turn away from the authority of Scripture. They'd become vicious and vile. It would affect them. It would affect the creation. It would affect their conscience. They'd be casualties, and the casualties would be even among those who were following the Lord. Elijah spoke God's truth in a day when he was just about The only one left. Now, there was more. God would get that message to him. Say, where were all the other prophets in the days of Elijah when he confronted the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel, when he stood on Mount Carmel, one against 400 prophets of Baal? He thought he was all alone. He wasn't. But where was all the rest? Read the scripture. You'll find out they were hiding in a cave. They were hiding in a cave, being fed, by, uh, being fed bread and water from the king's own table, snuck into them. Bread and water prophets, we call them, hiding. Thank God that God had a man that he raised up named Elijah to preach God's truth. But 
Oh, how the land needed the ministry of all those others. They didn't have it. While Ahab and Jezebel, the cause of all this problem, fared sumptuously in the palace every day. If anybody had anything to eat in that three years of rain or dew, if anybody had anything to eat, it was Ahab and Jezebel. Who was it then that ended up by a drying, dying brook, being fed by crows, ravens? Yeah, that was Elijah. See, when God's judgment falls on the land, don't, don't be thinking that uh, we'll be immune because we're not. Uh, that judgment will affect us just as it affects the wicked crowd. And so tonight we'll conclude this portion of Hosea's second message, the scene of the crime. As we're talking about, he's going to identify the people who are involved in this crime that was being committed in the land of Israel. And these, these were the first ones that he brought up, uh, God's own people. When a godly society turns from biblical truth and authority, they soon become a selfish and sinful people, they'll become vile and vicious. God is first ignored, then forgotten, which leads to a decline and leads to a decline in public morality and a corresponding increase in violent crime. It is a kind of society that loses all sense of what's right and wrong. I told you this morning that I was not going to spend a lot of time on the current uh, debate erupting all over this country, but I did take a little time to check out and just make sure that what I was about to say was true. I, I saw a, a, a leading newscaster. Uh, he has a program. I didn't watch his program. I never watch it, but I, I did see a synopsis of it where he said that he had learned a lot about the abortion debate. He said he didn't know. And this was a man who prides himself of being a very intellectual person. But he said he had no idea, did not know. That the majority of the countries in the world, the overwhelming majority of the countries in the world, have a far more restrictive policy on abortion than the United States has. He didn't know it. I don't doubt him. I knew it. I knew that Europe, all the countries in Europe, have a far more restrictive policy than the United States did. And I knew that the United States of America was one of only seven countries in the entire world who allow and defend abortion right up to full term, nine months, for any reason. Seven countries. I can't tell you all of them, but I do remember one of them was China. One of them was North Korea. One of them was Vietnam. The United States is not keeping really good company, are we? And when just a hint, just a hint of the idea that Roe versus Wade was going to be overturned, was produced in our country. Did, did you notice how quickly state legislatures began to respond? And we've already now had two nations, two states, who have declared themselves as abortion sanctuaries, specifically mentioning 
late-term abortions. Late-term abortions. You say, how can somebody defend that? How can we defend that a child can be killed for no other reason because the mother decides that she don't want it? Even though that child is fully viable, it can live outside of its mother's body. We talk about performing an abortion to save a mother's life at late term. I'm not a doctor, but I know that we've always had a procedure that could save a mother's life very quickly. It's called a C-section. It happens much more quickly than an abortion happens. Very unusual to find a... I can't imagine. It may be there. How do we defend this? How do we defend it so adamantly? It's the kind of society then where God is ignored, forgotten, His words abandoned, public morality and violent crime increases, our view of humanity changes... What makes a person viable and valuable changes. It's a kind of a society then where abortion is rampant, where drive-by shootings indiscriminately are common, where road rage and child abuse and kids killing kids and parents killing children, where genocide is turned a blind eye to. That's the world. And the strange thing is, is, in America today, there's so much of it that it, it doesn't even merit being reported anymore. For the most part, it just doesn't make the news. It makes the words that Paul wrote to Timothy long ago stand out. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker. Of whom is Habanaeus and Philetus? What America needs today is a revival where, first of all, people will be saved. And then, secondly, where they'll recognize that the Bible is true. It is God's word. It is trustworthy. And they'll return to it so that we have a standard to live by. A standard that will help us understand what is right and what is wrong. As God's people, then, we have two tasks before us. Number one, we do what this passage tells us to. We study to show ourselves approved unto God. Folk, keep your mind your nose, your eyes in this book. Keep studying it. Keep learning it. Join with me as I try. None of us are ever going to keep it all perfectly, but we try and we live by it by the help of God. Number two, we share it. Let's stand together, please.